Over the Wall podcast coming at you. Football in the fall, baby. It's back. College, NFL, everything looking good. We've had college games the past couple weekends. Nothing really exciting to speak of. You know, Notre Dame, Clemson has played, Texas, OU. They've all blown teams out. So nothing dramatic to talk about, even though we'll talk about UL. Big win against Iowa State. What does it mean for the future of UL's program? We'll really get into the Big Ten coming back and playing football at the end of October. That is a big topic of discussion. Then we'll also talk about Pac-12 possibly coming back. Things are going, things are getting real crazy right now in college football, but they're on the up and up. We'll hit on our guy, Joe Burrow. 0-2 start, but man, he's looked really damn good. And I'm not going to just break the games down for you. Hey, this is how he did being the Monday morning quarterback. I'm going to talk about the trajectory of Joe Burrow's career. The, the pros, the cons, and what I see moving forward. Then finally, we're going to do an NFL top 10. We're going to do it every week, and I'll give you my top 10 best teams in the NFL. Let's do it. College football is back. We have one more week till the SEC kicks off, which I think will make it really feel like you know it's Saturdays in the fall. But we've had the ACC and the Big 12 and several other conferences kick off the past couple of weeks. We have games this weekend. Not anything intriguing, although we've seen Clemson absolutely demolish Wake Forest. Lawrence looked great. You know, Clemson's a really good team playing in a shitty conference, so they're going to beat the crap out of everybody. So exciting times right now. Like I said, one more week to SEC play. It's, a, it's just going to be a conference-only schedule, which I kind of like. It's going to be some good games. The biggest story, and we're going we're gonna to get a timeline on this, is the Big Ten coming back to play. Let's take you back to July. July, and I said on my podcast that when the Big Ten comes out in July and says conference-only schedule, I said it was going to be a trickle-down effect, a domino effect, where it was the first one that was going to fall. And I was right to a certain extent, because then in August... The Big Ten said, done, canceled. Nope, people are going to die. Can't play ever again. It's over. Myocarditis. So that was another domino. And then this is where the Big Ten miscalculated. The Big Ten wanted to be trendsetters. They wanted to show you that they were intellectual, that they cared about the people, which is all political. Don't lie to yourselves. I feel bad for Kevin Warren put in a situation where his hands were tied. And Kevin Warren's the Big Ten commissioner. I mean, all these college presidents basically voted not to play. Once again, sports has become very political. Okay, Sports used to unify us. You know, I can remember after 9-11 where, where sports unified us as a country. You know, the president throwing out the first pitch in Yankee Stadium. It didn't matter. Your political beliefs, your your you know race, religion, we'd all come together, root for our teams. But now sports, especially when we're looking at this pandemic, has become political. Basically, you know, if your state has a Democratic governor, you might not be playing football in your state. And I think we've seen that you know, with the Big Ten, especially the Pac-12, where California has just shut life down. And, you know, we'll get to the Pac-12 in a little bit. 
but they thought the Big Ten that this would just there'd be trendsetters and, and they use the myocarditis as you know their excuse. Yeah, myocarditis can't play. Myocarditis basically, if you you know, it, it's when you have any viral infection, right? You, you can have a flu, and then you know you can have you can have myocarditis. You know, after I'm not a doctor, so I'm not gonna like try to you know talk to you about it. But essentially, myocarditis could happen after any type of viral infection, and you know it's slim to none. And there's even testing they can put into play, like what the Big Twelve did with you know EKGs and you know just different type of te- you know cardiac testing for that. But that was their excuse, myocarditis, as if nobody was playing sports, right? As if yeah, I could give them a break in that regard if sports were not going on. The Big Ten would have been the first conference to play a sporting event and we just didn't know what happens if somebody tested positive for COVID in May and then three months later goes to play a sporting event will they die on the spot but that's that's false we've seen sports take place we've seen Major League Baseball we've seen the NBA the MLS blah 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 all these other sports that we've seen play now we've seen college football play now we've seen the NFL play they're not dying. Well, the next thing you're going to hear is, well, we don't know the ramifications going forward five, six years from now. We're going to be fine. Okay. So the myocarditis was kind of blown up, you know, and the Big Ten wants to come back and play now. Nobody cured myocarditis. It's not something to cure. So that was an excuse. They thought everybody would fall into line. They didn't. The SEC led by Greg Sankey, which has I mean, he has handled this whole situation beautifully. He said, look, you know, we're not going to start in a regular start date. September 26th, we're going to start. And you're thinking, why later? Well, because kids are going to come back on the campus. You're testing every day, right? So whether they're sick or not, it's going to come back. You're positive for COVID because you're around a lot of people. Get it out of your system. Let them test positive for COVID, which Coach O has said, and it's come under fire, which is stupid, that you know most of the guys on the team have tested positive for COVID-19. Because they've been around other people. It's a, it's a virus. It's a viral infection. That's what happens. And, and the reality is none of these guys are hospitalized, and none are probably sick, probably maybe even a mild cold at best. They played it perfectly. And even Coach O said it. So now... With the CDC guidelines with college football, in which they're using, they're implementing, once you test positive, you don't, and, and once you test positive and you clear protocol, meaning you, you've tested negative, however many times you need your test, you don't have to test again for three more months if you have symptoms. There's not really, like, so it, basically, college athletes who do test positive don't have symptoms. So essentially, if your whole team tests positive already, you don't have to test them again. Because even if they do get sick, three more months. So that's a win-win for the conference. I really don't expect the SEC to have any type of you know cancellations. Really, a lot of the cancellations you're seeing is from these smaller schools that probably don't have the resources like in LSU and these SEC programs. So keep that in mind. So once again, the SEC played it beautifully, and now the Big Ten, there were rumblings, and now they're back. They're coming back in late October. Now you're starting to hear the Pac-12, and this is where you know things are doing really, really well. 
as far as the pandemic, is when the Pac-12 wants to come back and play, right? Because you, the Pac-12 essentially just does not care. I mean, the fans don't care. Nobody cares. But they want to come back and play. That means you know things are going really good with testing and protocols and just the safety and just, you know, COVID overall. So they want to come back and play, which will be interesting to see because I think it might just be too late. But when we get to the end of it all, and let's say we have Ohio State, Bama, you know, whatever, you know, Oklahoma, Clemson, it won't matter how you got there. The best teams are going to get there. It won't matter if you play eight or ten games. So this is really good news of having the Big, big Ten back. You're, you're, you're see, starting to see players opt back in. <clears throat> Sean Wade, who's probably the best cornerback in the country, has opted back in to play at Ohio State. I believe they've had an offensive lineman who's opted back in. Things are looking good. You know, I think we're trying to put you know, politics to the side. And let's just go play some football. And so, you know, it's a definite positive. Let's talk about another topic that hits home around here, and that is UL with a huge win against Iowa State. So they go to Iowa State. Iowa State is ranked 23rd. They have a first-round quarterback in Brock Purdy, and they dominated that game. They looked really damn good. Now, they had two special teams touchdowns, which ultimately helps you. Anytime you have two special teams touchdowns, you're, you're probably going to win a football game. But they dominated. It looked really good. But the first thing I saw – and the first thing I thought of when I saw that, that victory for UL was, who is your next head coach? And as an athletic director, do you have a list ready to go of the next head coach of your program? Because he's gone. Billy Napier will be gone. He is a really good head football coach. Okay, Very good. I believe he'll probably be the next head coach of South Carolina because I think Muschamp will be gone and he'll, Napier might be the hottest name out there. That's just my opinion. But to have success at a school like UL, you've got to be ready for change. Because it's not like LSU, where LSU can just dish out money, you know, like it's like it's candy, you know, to a head coach like, you know, like Alabama does for Nick Saban, right? So he won't go anywhere else. UL and these programs don't have that money. You always have to be on the forefront, all right, and looking for the next guy. That will be the key to UL success. Do you have a name right now ready to rock and roll as the next head coach of UL? And if you don't, if you're just banking on Billy Napier staying in Lafayette the rest of his life, you're going to end up failing as a program. And until you realize that, I think like Arkansas State has realized that. Arkansas State had like, you know, uh, Gus Malzahn. They had Hugh Freeze. Um, they had, I believe his name was Blake Anderson. He's the head coach at Boise. He's a really good coach. And now they have a good coach now. They have done a good job of, you know, working the system, getting the next guy, and that's what UL needs to do. If they do that, they'll have continuous success because they're in a good landscape as far as recruiting. And, you know, I'd say they're at a program facility-wise in their conference that, that, you know, it shapes up pretty good against the rest. Let's get to LSU. Once again, just a couple brief topics with the Tigers. You know, Jamar Chase is officially declared for the draft. We have Neil Farrell who opted out a couple weeks ago, but now has back, opted back in. There's been rumors that Tyler Shelvin could opt back in, but we don't know yet. So I think the Tigers, and we'll get to it in the, either later in the podcast or in the podcast coming up to kind of preview the season. I think they're looking pretty good. Expectations as a fan base should not be like championship or bust because you, you will never see another season 
like you did last year, especially with the success you see Joe Burrow having right now, how good he was last year. I think Brandon's going to be fine. Watch out for Arik Gilbert, who they who I've heard basically can't be stopped in camp. You know, it's going to be exciting for the Tigers. There's going to be a couple games in there where it's going to be tough. Florida, Auburn, A&M, Bama. I think early in the season, I think you got State, Mississippi State, and Vandy. You should start off 2-0, ready to roll. But once again, we're, we're going to cover all that um, at length about LSU. But, man, we got football back, college football. So everything is st- starting to feel normal in the world. Here we go. Louisiana's adopted son, Joe Burrow. 0-2 start with the Bengals, but has looked damn good in my opinion. It's to be expected, especially a loss last night to the Browns. Browns have a really good roster, and the Bengals, which we will talk about in a little bit, aren't very talented. But he has been playing really well, and he's been really poised and not overwhelmed for a rookie. You know, usually you get overwhelmed with a bad offensive line. He's very poised. He's not overwhelmed. A lot of this, and we'll talk about the trajectory of Joe Burrow and what do we expect to see and success of Joe Burrow. What are the cards you're dealt? Tom Brady is thought of as the greatest quarterback of all time, and I love Tom Brady. Tom Brady was dealt an amazing hand. Yes, I understand he was a six-round draft pick, but he was drafted by the greatest football coach probably in the history of the sport. You don't think that's an added advantage? He was drafted by an organization in Bob Kraft who took over the organization. He is arguably one of the the best owners we've ever seen. And that matters. You know, GM, coach, owner, that is huge. You can argue before that they hadn't had a ton of success organizationally. But like I said, when you have a coach like that, it, it just it takes you to another level. Even another guy around the same age, we look at Big Ben. Big Ben, the first two years, and even Brady at that, they were basically babysitted, or babysat. They weren't asked to, to lead the team to victory, right? They had a really good roster around them. The Steelers were an amazing organization, and they had the opportunity to really grow and evolve over you know two- to three-year period. Some guys aren't given that that added bonus, right? Let's look at guys now who are, are dealt an amazing hand. Do you think Patrick Mahomes would be Patrick Mahomes if he were playing with the New York Jets or the Cincinnati Bengals? No, he wouldn't. Sure, I, I think he'd be a Pro Bowl-level player, but he would not be Patrick Mahomes, MVP, Super Bowl champ, um, you know, 10 different commercials, million contract, he would not be. Football is not a singular dependent game like basketball, where LeBron James can go to any team. It doesn't matter. He's going to win. He's going to have success. He is the team. He is the coach. He is the GM, period. He can get free agents to to your city, and one player matters. The only player I've ever seen, and, and even then, it's been argued that he didn't live up to the hype or choked in moments was Peyton Manning to where he was drafted by an average organization, not a great owner. You know, at the time, Jim Moore was not thought of as an amazing head coach. And, you know, he even won with Jim Caldwell, who I didn't think was a great head coach. And that was Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning 
really led that organization um, to heights they'd never seen. So that's the only guy I've ever seen truly just carry a team. Other guys have needed help. Do you think Lamar Jackson would be doing what he's doing if he were a Cleveland Brown or a Jacksonville Jaguar? He would not. John Harbaugh is a great coach. He's already won a Super Bowl. That matters. They have a phenomenal roster around him to enable him to play the game he does. Those things matter. Do you think Jared Goff, who we think of as mediocre at best quarterback, would have went to a Super Bowl, won a division twice if he wasn't, you know, playing with Sean McVay? You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, he probably doesn't get to a Super Bowl if he's not with Kyle Shanahan in that roster in San Francisco. It matters the hand you're dealt. And let's talk about Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is going to an organization that historically has not been very you know, relevant. They've had a couple moments in the sun with Marvin Lewis, but never won a playoff game. Um, ownership's not great. GM, you know, not great either. The roster's not great. The O-line, as we've seen, has had holes all over it. He's been under pressure. He's going to have to overcome a lot. My biggest question, and I could even circle it back to last year because they played the Cleveland Browns last night. My biggest questions with Cleveland last year, and Cleveland has, and still does have a, a very talented roster, was O-line and coach. And I think that is huge, right? We could just pinpoint that. O-line, coach. As a quarterback, how successful can you be? Cleveland's O-line last year was horrendous, and their coach was terrible. One of the worst we've seen in Freddie Kitchens. I don't know what Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, is right now. Usually, we see them pop pretty early. Sean McVay took a bad team the year before with the Rams, and automatically they win a division. You see great right away. Sean Payton, you had no idea who Sean Payton was. He gets to New Orleans, year one, after Katrina. I didn't even think the roster was very good. Bam, they win the division, and, you know, they get a bye going into the playoffs. You see really good right away. And maybe we can give it a little more time, but I'm telling you right now, by, you know, three-fourths of this season, you're going to know whether or not Zach Taylor is, you know, dynamic as a head football coach in the NFL. I don't think he is. I don't think he's terrible. I think he's competent. But I don't think he's a guy who's going to help Burrow flourish and, you know, get him to Super Bowl to Super Bowl. If I had to guess, I do believe that you could be looking at a different coach two or three years from now, even though I think they'll stick with him. And they do have a pattern of sticking with coaches, right? They stuck with Marvin Lewis for a long time when maybe they should have got rid of him. So to me, that's a, that's a huge question. Obviously, the O-line has holes in it which I do think this is going to happen this year. And when we look at the trajectory of Burrow's career, I think they'll be drafting high again because if I had to predict, I think Burrow can actually get them to five wins, which will be very impressive because I don't think the roster is very good. You could be looking at drafting. You know, you're going to have a high pick in the draft. You're going to probably draft Panay Sewell out of Oregon, the best offensive tackle available, which will only help. And this roster needs help. When you look at A.J. Green, I don't think he's extremely dynamic anymore. He's getting up there in age. I was never this huge A.J. Green guy, even though I thought he was you know, very good. 
But I thought they should have traded them. You, you could have got something on the market for them, draft picks, which you need. You know, you just need more talent on that roster. When I look at Joe Burrow and the Bengals and their trajectory, right, we've talked about that. It's not going to be this year. The division is too hard. It's just, it's difficult. When you look at the Steelers, just their history and the Big Ben still playing, the roster's still pretty good. They're not even close to, to being where Pittsburgh's at. They're not even remotely close to where being where Baltimore's at. And as you saw last night, their roster just is not good as Cleveland. So I think next year you're going to be looking at a couple more wins. I mean, you could be looking about, you know, getting about 500 where you get about seven, eight wins in year two. And then I think in year three, if, you know, GM does a good job of, of getting a good roster together, then you could be in contention and start competing. Because the reason I'm going to say that, I like to look ahead. I don't like to just sit and, and, and break down the game I saw last night. Let's look at the division, which is very hard right now, which I just said. Big Ben, two years from now, do we know if he's playing? Maybe not. And even if, 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 even if he is playing at what type of level, I think the Steelers will regress two years from now. Lamar Jackson, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But I do have questions as far as him playing from behind, you know, being forced to be you know, a drop-back passer, which is just not – you know, a big part of his game. And when that happens, he's not at his best and neither are the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the Ravens have a ton of success right now because they're always playing ahead because Lamar Jackson is on a rookie contract. And so the talent around Lamar is immense. They have a really good roster. So they have the ability to play their game, you know, week in and week out. Therefore, always, you know, being in the lead and never trailing and, you know, playing into Lamar's hands. And I'm not saying he can't be a drop-back passer. Maybe he can. I just don't think that's his strength. So my point is, what happens when year, two years from now, when you're going to have to pay Lamar Jackson, you give him that contract, and now you can't afford maybe a, you know, a right tackle or a guard or you know a, a, a guy on defense, right? You, you won't be able to spend as much money on some of your guys. So that's... That's going to be the issue there. Cleveland is Cleveland. Baker Mayfield, I do not think is dynamic. I, I thought there was a possibility coming out that, you know, maybe he had the leadership qualities that, you know, could get Cleveland over the hump. He can't. I don't think he's that dynamic at all. There's nothing to his game that I love. I think he was helped by Lincoln Riley in the Oklahoma system. You know, there's major red flags with him. Even when I, when I was talking about Joe Burrow's poise, even Baker Mayfield last year, when when that with the bad old line, he just looked, you know, just always, you know, in in trouble, so to speak. He was always scrambling right, and just was not poised at all. And then when you, when you look at Sam Darnold, the guy who's the same age as Baker, you remember last year when they're playing the Patriots, and they're just crushing him, and they get him mic'd up on the sidelines, and Darnold saying he's seeing ghosts. That's why I bring up Burrow. Very poised. He's the right guy to lead an organization. Because there's poise. He's very cerebral. And he's a true leader. He's not a goofy Russell Wilson. Yeah, win one, guys. You know, uh, all this nonsense. He's a true leader. I think he's a guy who people can, you know, he can he can get guys to come together. Guys can, you know, 
play better around him. We've seen the LSU, the way he lifted a program. And not only did he lift the program to national championship, he lifted them in a way that we never thought could be possible, especially in today's age where, you know, Matt Malk won a championship, but he won a championship because the defense was really good and, and he had to make up, you know, maybe two or three plays a game. Now you need to be dynamic offensively. And that was where LSU just couldn't get over the hump. It's because their offense was the opposite of dynamic. It was atrocious for years. He got them there. And so, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm following the Bengals extremely close and I'm rooting for him very hard. And it's very fun and exciting to have a new storyline to look out for. You know, Cincinnati has the right quarterback. But like I said, I'm all about predictions. He's not going to have a Tom Brady career. Why? He's not with the right organization unless there's major changes that happen. Right. Unless Zach Taylor becomes, you know, I don't know, Kyle Shanahan 2.0. And we believe he's a top five coach. I don't think he is. You know, if there's a different structure in the organization, GM, and they just start, you know, nailing draft picks, I don't know if they are. Do I think Joe Burrow wins a Super Bowl? Yeah, I think he does. But I, like I said, my ultimate takeaway is love him. He is going to be dynamic. You know, all the media is just infatuating him right now, and rightfully so, the way he's played. But I don't think he's going to be a multiple time Super Bowl winner. Hell, I wish he would. But if you told me right now he has a 15, 16-year career, I'm going to say he wins one. One Super Bowl would be my prediction just because it's hard to overcome. So the moral of the story is what are the cards you're dealt? Let's hit our weekly top 10 in the NFL, my 1 through 10 rankings, best teams. Here we go. At number 10, I have the New England Patriots. Well, I wasn't very high on when we go into the season, but I just think Bill Belichick is such an amazing coach. You've seen some glimpses with Cam in the run game that I think will be good for this season. I don't know the longevity of it, right? Going forward, how can he continue to do that? Will his body hold up? But for now, I trust Belichick, even though I do think they lose to Seattle Sunday. I got them at number 10. At number 9, I have the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen is limited, in my opinion. Do not believe what you saw. Sunday, that's when everything is going right. Sure, he'll be he'll be dynamic. He'll play well. But how will he play when he's trailing and the pressure is on him? We've seen that before. It hasn't been pretty. But I like the coaching staff. I like the roster. And for now, I have them number 9. At number eight, I got the Pittsburgh Steelers. Still need to see a little more from Big Ben, but early returns are pretty good. They look good Monday night. And once again, I'm all about coaching staffs, continuity, and Tomlin is a really good coach. Roster is still pretty good. I think Big Ben has a little left in the tank, you know, for the team to, to make a playoff run. Then at number seven, I don't care what you say. I've been hearing people crap on him left and right. Pretty much his haterade because they don't like the guy because of the success that he's had in his career. And that's Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They lost to the Saints. Saints are one of the best teams in football. Brady had no offseason. And, you know, I thought he was okay. He made a couple bad decisions. Interception here, interception there. But he is going to be fine. I think his arm strength looked pretty good. Yeah, he's not mobile, but he never has been. He's going to be fine. Watch them Sunday. They will win. Tom Brady's leadership is what they need. He's going to make plays when the time comes. The roster's still really good. But he is going to make plays. Remember, the Saints offense wasn't dynamic on Sunday. That defense for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is pretty good. So don't sleep on Tampa and don't sleep on Tom. But don't sleep on Tom's leadership. 
Just watch out for that. They're going to get, like I said, mid-season, they'll get things going. Then at number six, I don't care if they lost or not. I still trust Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. I think Jimmy, James, Jimmy G is limited. I still like their defense. I still like their run game. They need some receivers to get healthy and start, you know, kind of going right now. Kittle a little banged up. But once again, I'm kind of projecting forward. San Francisco 49ers are a really good team. Arizona has actually given them trouble the past three times they played them, and they lost Sunday. They'll bounce back. I think they have the New York Jets. They'll travel to New York. They'll win that game because the Jets are abysmal. But don't sleep on the Niners. Still think they're really well coached. There's limitations at quarterback, sure, but not as much as you think. They'll be fine. And number five, I have the Seattle Seahawks. Why? I don't love their roster. I think Carroll's a pretty good coach. Defense is okay. What I like is that they're letting Russell Wilson play. They let him throw the football. And when you let him play, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's right next to Mahomes. He's really that damn good. And so if you let Russell Wilson play, I think you're going to see some good returns. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender because I don't think the roster is good enough. But I have them in number five because I think Russell Wilson is just that damn good. Then at number four, the Green Bay Packers. If you saw Aaron Rodgers play Sunday, it was amazing. The big story is, you know, drafting Jordan Love, I think, lit a fire under Aaron Rodgers. You know, it, it, it's like, hey, let's go. OK, don't be complacent anymore. And you saw he was dynamic. He's really damn good. Devontae Adams was really damn good. They have a stable of backs now with Jones, Williams and A.J. Dillon. They're ready to rock and roll. That's a good roster right there. Pretty good defense. And so I kind of slept on them a little bit in my preseason rankings, but I like them and I think they're going to be fine. I have them at number four. Then I have New Orleans Saints, our Saints, at number three. They're going to be fine. They're going to be really, really good. The roster is good. There's really no weaknesses. And to be honest with you, if you said what's a weakness, I would say maybe Drew Brees. He's not in his prime and he's going to struggle to, to push the ball downfield. I think Sean Payton will devise a good offensive system to where he can get the ball out of his hands quickly. The injury to Michael Thomas is crucial. It really is. How long will he be out for? Me, sit him out. Don't, we're playing the long game here. Don't play the short game and force him out on the field early. Let him sit three weeks. I'm fine with that. It's a high ankle sprain. Those things don't heal quickly. I think you're going to win Monday night against Las Vegas. I don't think the Raiders have a good defense. I don't think the Raiders are very good. And I like it when a team wins the week before you play them. They'll get complacent, won't have as good a week of prep after coming off a loss. I like the Saints on Monday night. No fans, you know, for the new uh, stadium in Vegas. So that's not even going to be an issue at all. So like the Saints in that one, and I just love the Saints roster. There's not too many holes. The key is can Michael Thomas come back in about three or four weeks, you know, at full strength? Watch out for that. At number two, the Baltimore Ravens. I still have my issues with, you know, how does Lamar Jackson and the Ravens at that play in the postseason? Lamar's going to put up great numbers. They're going to always play from ahead, which I've talked about earlier, which is the key. If you play from behind, it's going to be an issue for him. And then when you look at two weeks from now on Monday night, you'll have Kansas City traveling to Baltimore. Watch, that is going to be a great game. It really will be. But I got Baltimore at two. Like I said, not a ton of weaknesses. My question will still be, what are they going to do in January? Then number one, Kansas City. I think Pat Mahomes wins the MVP this year because of the continuity with Andy Reid. He's even said he's starting to actually be able to read defenses now. 
think about that. He's been that dynamic the past few years, and he hasn't been able to, you know, read defenses, and he's still, you know, basically he's still working on that. He's still growing as a player. That is scary. The weapons are all the same around him, and with Clyde the backfield, that's only another weapon to add. They're going to be really good. I think they'll make it back to the Super Bowl again because of the continuity and the growth of Patrick Mahomes. Scary, right? He's that good, and he's growing still. I think he wins the MVP, and as of right now, I have Kansas City at number one.